0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to a very special edition of the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney, and I'm here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla, and this podcast episode is special for two reasons— First, we are recording today in front of a live studio audience, and second, our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Ed Litton, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Sanford has a long history of course with the Southern Baptist Convention and with Alabama Baptists in particular. We were founded by the Alabama Baptist State Convention in 1841 as Howard College, our Divinity School's founding dean, Dr. Timothy George is a Southern Baptist minister, and one of the endowed faculty chairs at the Divinity School is named after a longtime Alabama Baptist pastor, Charles T. Carter, and is held by another Baptist pastor, Robert Smith. As dean, I often encounter a couple of misleading perceptions of our identity as a seminary. One is that Beeson is, quote, just a Baptist school, and the other is that Beeson isn't quite Baptist enough. Well, the truth is that Beeson has always been an interdenominational evangelical divinity school, which means we train Southern Baptists and a variety of Christians from other Protestant networks. But more than 50% of our people, past and present, identify either as Baptist or as Baptistic non-denominational church members. So we clearly love Baptists, and we are grateful for the support and the ministry of Southern Baptists at Samford, at Beeson, and beyond. Our guest today preached just a little while ago in Beeson's Tuesday chapel service. Then he shared a meal with us and other friends from Birmingham. He will be whisked out of town just as soon as we are finished with this podcast interview. SBC presidents are very busy people. So, Kristen, let's get going. Please tell us about Dr. Ed Litton.
1: Thank you, Doug, and let me just give a warm welcome to those who are here with us uh, for this podcast. We have with us on the show the Reverend Dr. Ed Litton. He is the senior pastor of Redemption Church in Mobile and the 63rd president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So welcome, Dr. Litton, to the Beeson podcast. It's
2: an honor to be here at Beeson, at Samford, and it's an honor to be on this podcast.
1: Well, I just gave a very short bio of you, so why don't you introduce yourself more fully uh, to our listeners? Where are you from, and how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ?
2: Well, that's a great question. I love to talk about it. I uh, I came from two kids who never graduated from high school. Uh, they were uh, hillbillies from Southwest Virginia. My mom's father was a coal miner who died of black lung in his early 30s. My my dad's father owned a grocery store. Lost everything he had during the Great Depression and so my dad joined the Navy during World War II fought in the Pacific Uh, he fought stayed in the Navy fought in Korea was in Vietnam was in the Cuban Missile Crisis in the process of his growing up he became an alcoholic and uh, he and my mom were on the verge of divorce when a Southern Baptist pastor in Virginia Beach Virginia shared the gospel with my dad in a grocery store and my dad rejected the gospel at first, but I had the privilege at, at about eight years old of watching my father go into his office after he had been drunk for two weeks, and my mother had left him, and we were getting our things together. He begged her, said, "Take me to see this preacher, then you can leave me." And so we went. I watched him get on his knees and invite Christ into his heart, and he stood up. He stood up saved, and he actually drove home. Uh, he was so sober, and and God has given me an amazing recollection. I was in the back seat, eight years old. My dad gets in. He looks at my mom. I can still see his face. I can still hear his voice. He said, Sue, something just happened to me, and I cannot explain it. And he said, and the pastor wanted to know if we had a Bible. He said, do we have a Bible? She goes, no, we don't have a Bible. So my dad went out and bought a King James, Thompson Chain reference Bible, and he began to build our lives on that. And that's where I was introduced to the gospel. And shortly after, gave my life to Christ, was baptized into the Kempsville Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And the reason people say, why are you Southern Baptist? I am convictionally Southern Baptist, but <laughs> first and foremost, they're the ones who came to get us. And uh, that's one thing I think Southern Baptists are known for is evangelism. And we still have a lot of work to do in that area. But that's my story uh, of uh, coming to faith in Christ. And, and I will say this, even as an 8-year-old boy, I knew there was something to Jesus. And, and I knew the power of God to change a man's life. And God took my dad from being a hater to being a lover. He, would, he became a man of integrity and served the Lord till the day he died.
0: So I'm grateful. Dr. Litton, I bet our listeners would love to hear a little bit about how the Lord pulled you into pastoral ministry. Can you tell us that story or your story about called call to pastorate? I was 17 years old when I felt the Lord's
2: call. It was in a meeting, a revival meeting in my church, and it was really heavy upon me because I didn't want it. And I ran from it. I did everything I could to actually disqualify myself from serving the Lord. And the Lord brought me, what I discovered is when you are His you can run, but you cannot hide uh, there's a there's a chain there's a, there's a leash and I hit the end of it and I was struggling as hard as I could and and I God graciously met me there and he he, he reminded me that his plan for me was better than mine, so I surrendered and it has been a joy God called me to pastor uh, I've had opportunities to do other things but I, I I know that he made me a pastor and he's proven that affirmed that gift and and I'm so grateful that he did because it's been a wonderful a wonderful use of the life he gave me.
1: You and your first wife, Tammy, served as church planters in Arizona. So what were those first few years of ministry like, and what lessons did you learn as church planters that have helped you in your pastoral ministry, Mobile, all these years later?
2: Well, I, I think it helps to be an idiot, to not know to not know what you're actually doing works in your favor. Because the guy that enlisted me, I'll never forget it, he, he, I said, give me time to pray about it. We prayed about it. And I said, okay, I think God may be in this. He, and, and I said, now, how do you start a church? He looked at me and he said, well, you preach Jesus and you win people to Jesus. I said, that's it? He goes, that's it. I said, well, I can do that. Uh, turns out there's a little more involved with it. Um, And and so, on the organizational end and everything else, God just blessed, the church exploded in growth, it was amazing, that wasn't the only blessing by any means. By the time we left there, seven and a half years later, half of the congregation had come to faith in Christ there in that seven years. And and to see that birthing experience in a place where there aren't a lot of strong churches was an incredible experience, so that has shaped us, Uh, it's shaped us in a lot of ways. Because the culture that I was in had issues with prejudice, but they weren't toward African Americans. It was toward other groups and other people. And I learned a very important lesson that all human beings struggle with a heart that's bent to prejudge other people by the way they appear the way they look and to not accept people. And and so one of the things I learned coming into this state, which I dearly love, uh, is that uh, we all share this same struggle it's a part of our fallen nature and we need to we need to address it the same way we address any sin in our lives and uh, and so that's been uh, one of the helpful things but not the only one Uh, we learned that that church basically I don't care how old your church is, it could be a historic church, needs to reinvent itself on a regular basis. We need to redefine the purpose that is clear in Scripture, not make up a new purpose, but redefine it in a language of that generation. And every church has to be rebirthed. I've been where I'm at now almost 28 years, and I would say we've had at least 8 to 10 rebirthing cycles. And, and it's, that's just the way I think of it. You have to it, honor the history, but you keep saying there's a new generation that does not know the Lord that grew up that did not know the Lord, and so that's the ones we're trying to reach and disciple.
0: Tell us a little bit more about the rebirthing idea. You came to Mobile, I believe, in 1994. Correct. And when you arrived, you arrived to pastor the First Baptist Church of North Mobile. Of course, today it's called Redemption Church, and it's big and multi-site and so on. Can you tell us just a little bit about that story? How did you get to Mobile, and how did you get to the point where you thought, you know, we need to relaunch the church and change the name?
2: First of all, I don't know that any of our churches are big anymore. I think we've all across the board suffered tremendous losses uh I recently saw a statistic that on average, somewhere between thirty and fifty percent I know that's a big big bounce, but thirty to fifty percent of our people have just stopped coming and and so it's interesting, Kerry Newhoff in an article recently said that it's really not fear that's driving that, and he said it's it's really not um it's 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 not fear, I forget the other thing he said, but ultimately he said it's indifference. And, and as I mentioned in the message today, indifference is a serious sin. And and we have to ask ourselves, if you're indifferent toward the Lord, that that's troublesome. And our people need help finding, again, a motivation to gather into the house of the Lord. Look at what we did, and we had to, but we had to make convenient ways for people to stay together, separate in their homes. But some people just got comfortable with it. And some people just said, "I I don't need to go anymore," and 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 the reality is, we've got to not only reach them, but we've got to reach new people too, because there's never been a time in my life where the the nation that we're in has been so hungry for reality, hungry for something that gives hope, and I, and we have it, and we, and we need our people need to reengage with the gospel. You can be the best preacher in the world, but if your people aren't preaching it in their daily life. Uh, you you're 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 stuck. We have to multiply our effectiveness by remobilizing our people. But our church uh, was going through one of those rebirthing cycles where we we realized the things we've done took us so far, but the whole landscape changes, and now we're playing a whole new game. All of us who pastor know that we're in a territory now we've never been in before, and, and so you know I, I've held, I feel like Toto telling Dorothy we're not in Kansas anymore. Or was it the other way around? I don't remember. But, but, but the truth is, we've got to look at this landscape and say, All right, what's it going to take? In our church, we really changed how we do disciple-making. Somehow, we made the most relational thing Jesus did with his 12 disciples, technical, sit-still-while-we-instill experience, when discipleship is a relational experience. It's people helping people grow. And you don't have to be a genius theologian to help somebody understand the ABCs of Scripture. If you got them, if you know how to tithe, you can teach somebody else how to tithe. If you know how to witness, you can teach somebody else how to witness. And so we lost that sense of relationship. And so we started returning to that. In the process, other things began to change. One in particular is we realized that a large number of people coming to our church lived in a part of town that was 16 miles away from us. And so we said, well, why don't we take you and put you over there as a campus of this church? And... When you invite your friends, they'll have a, a place to come to. Because they were inviting, but the people wouldn't travel across town, which I wouldn't blame them. So we did that, and then God's continued to bless that. So that's, ultimately, that's why we changed the name of the church. We felt like we had a great name, but First Baptist, North Mobile, and West Mobile was just too much to put on a sign. So we said, we'll just change it. I asked some young people in my church to form a little committee for them to study it, and they came out with the name Redemption Church, and our church embraced it immediately. <laughs>
1: That's beautiful. You uh, recently referenced the message that you gave in chapel a few minutes ago, and we want to encourage our listeners to go to our YouTube channel so you can hear that excellent message that you gave. Um, Also in your message, you uh, said that your wife, Tammy, tragically died in a car wreck, and I believe that was in 2007. Correct. And your second wife, Kathy, has also experienced a similar loss with her first husband. You know, one of the jobs of the pastor is to counsel and shepherd others through loss and suffering. Um, but here you were experiencing it. So I would just love to hear what got you through that time, How did your congregation minister to you, and how did God eventually bring you and Kathy together?
2: Well, that's a great question, great series of questions. First of all, the Lord obviously uh, protected us because he promises that he does that. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death with him. His rod and staff comfort us. But it was the, it was friends like my friend here with me, Gary, uh, that, that loved us, took care of us, the practical things at first. But you've got to re-engage life even though you don't want to re-engage life. And, and so uh, we knew the power of prayer. We knew people were praying for us. I have two boxes in my office with literally three to 400 prayer cards that came from one church in Memphis, Tennessee called Bellevue Baptist Church that people were praying for us. Prayer ministries were, it really gave me a whole new heart for Southern Baptist and other groups that, that genuinely pray for people in their suffering. And and so we, we learned that we were in a place of suffering and that, that God was taking us through it. We had great support and God, God continued to bless us in that. And we had other tragedies that followed that, but through it all, it was the Lord. Kathy and Rick, uh, Kathy and Rick, uh, he pastored the Riverside Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. They were on a family vacation and uh, they had a, a piece of metal hit a tire, it blew out, they were pulling a boat, it jackknifed, they flipped, Rick was killed. Kathy and their 17-year-old son, Justin, survived. Uh, The other two kids were in a car behind them and watched the whole thing. And it was tragic for a family. The impact of grief on a family is profound. Uh, But through it all, they had the similar experience. But let me tell you something that's interesting that I never thought about. If a pastor loses his wife, he doesn't lose his church, he doesn't lose his identity, he doesn't lose his income, he doesn't lose his home. But when a pastor's wife loses her husband, she loses everything. And so my wife went through a very different valley of Bacra than I did. And, and yet, that perspective is what brought us together. She was invited to come speak to our women's ministry. It was the first time we met. There's a rumor on the internet that we met online. That's just not true. Uh, <laughs> She looked online. But no, I'm kidding. She did not. She did not. But but the the truth is, uh, God brought us together, and it's an amazing sense. When you walk into our home, you see pictures of both of our mates. You see pictures of our family together. And for people in a divorced culture that are not used to that, it becomes quite surprising when they see it. And it always raises questions. There's no sense of anything except that God, uh, in His grace and His mercy, had this plan for our life. And and that can be challenging, theologically, emotionally. God, this is not what I wanted. And yet, uh, I have a, a great comforter and a friend, in Kathy, who understands that even to this day, and I understand about her, that we'll have times of sorrow and grief, because we ha- we lived a very real life, a full life, great marriages, and God has blessed us twice. But it's still uh, it's not a consolation prize. It's not the puppy that replaces the puppy that got hit. It's, it's just the reality that this was God's plan before the foundation of the earth. I want to tell you this real quick. I had a seminary student ask me this about a month after Tammy died. He said, did your view of God's sovereignty help you or hurt you when your wife died? And I said, yes. It utterly devastated me that God would let me hurt that bad, and it utterly comforted me that God knew this before the foundation of the earth. I felt helpless, but I knew I was in his hands. And that's the only way I know to survive anything. And it, that's true of anything we go through that's devastating.
0: I was in Nashville last summer when you were elected the 63rd president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And my goodness, that was a highly publicized election. Well, people and kept it,
2: telling me you're 63. I said, no, I'm not, I'm 62.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. uh, Cheap uh, joke. Yeah. We all know this is a pretty wild time to be the president of any denomination, let alone the biggest Protestant denomination in the country. How has that been for you? What have been some of the surprises? What have you learned? What's God been teaching you through all this?
2: Well, I will write a book someday about it. No, I won't. (laughs) Let me say this. We are at a very critical moment. Uh, Our polity. A lot of things we're having to look at is being tested. But there are two things, and I shared this with the Executive Committee last week. There are two profound stains on our garment. One is racism. The other is abuse. And the one clear message that came out of Nashville for me was that it was my task to address those two issues. And uh, there were a lot of thoughts about how that should be handled. And I'll be honest with you, God gave me the grace and the wisdom and the wise counsel to appoint a task force that would not bow to any pressures except the mission that the Southern Baptist Convention gave us. Now, there's a lot of debate about that, even the motion on the floor, but it was very clear that this had to be investigated and a a report would be turned over to the convention at our next meeting in Anaheim. And I believe we did that. Uh, I, can't, I had a conversation this morning on my way up with the chair and the vice chair of the task force, and, and these are two men, uh, Bruce Frank and, uh, is the chair, and uh, I think that uh, are two of the, the bravest men I know, they're strong, and they, uh, Marshall Blaylock is the vice chair, and the, the whole committee that has, has pushed forward a thorough investigation. I do not believe there will be a shadow on this investigation. And, and it's largely because of the people that were placed on it. They've done an amazing job. But the fear is that this report's gonna reveal some things that are embarrassing, that are, that are not good, and people will be mentioned, and that's, that should concern all of us. At the same time, the light of day is the greatest sanitizing thing you can experience. And so we are serious as a convention about getting this issue addressed, not to get beyond it, but to find out, how does God want this culture called Southern Baptist to change? At the same time, I have a deep passion, as I've already shared in the chapel message and here, that, uh, that, that we have to address this, this thing that's been a part of us from the very beginning. And, and we have to address it, not to deny it, but to confront it and to say, this is how we should treat one another. Uh, One of the things I see very profoundly, and uh, most of my dear friends who are African-American pastors really have helped me in the last eight to ten years see this, that we are a strong Great Commission people, but the Scripture, our Lord Jesus combined the Great Commission with the Great Commandment. Because the great commandment is our credibility. I can say all day I love you, but if I treat you with disrespect, dishonor, or overlook your suffering or pain and do nothing about it, when it's within my grasp to do something, then I have to question whether the love of Christ is really in me. And so it's by this he said, Jesus said, "You will we will know that you are my disciples, that you loved one another. And so what it does is it increases and intensifies our credibility to share the gospel with other people. And and so I'm not saying wait to share the gospel. We've got to share the gospel, but it shines when we do it, and people see that we truly love one another.
1: Doctor Litton, how can people Southern Baptist and non-Southern Baptist pray for you specifically and mm. the Southern Baptist Convention?
2: Well, I, I first of all pray for those two things. Pray, and, and I'm telling people, don't brace yourself for the task force report. Brace to act. Don't brace for a for a crash. Brace to come to this convention in Anaheim in in June ready to do something that really shapes the culture of the future. And and another thing too is uh, learn the simple practice in your own community of loving people who don't look like you, think like you, or vote like you. And, And to begin to unify with them because they know the Lord, they're preaching the gospel. And what if our community saw us serving our schools and our churches together? What if they saw us in the neighborhoods loving people together? Uh, that we need each other. I have developed a, the most amazing respect for the African-American church. It is a miracle. The, the African-American church in America is a miracle of God. And, and I, you look at our history, you see how they formed and how their strengths and, and the, way they, the way they work in communities. We have much to learn. And so relationship with each other raises the level for all of us. And, and so we hear a lot of talk about, well, our churches should be this many black, this many white. No, 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 just love each other. God will work out that, all that stuff. And, and, and he will bless us as we continue to show his, his glory in our communities. And it's not as hard as people think. Again, leading change is painful. I said that in the chapel service with the, with the undergrads. Leading change is painful. If you're a leader and you're not in pain, you're not leading. Because people resist change for fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. A matter of fact, it says the fear of man is a snare. What we need to do is fear the Lord. Um, there's a lot of things that have been said about me as, as president of the convention, and there's things that have been, quote unquote, exposed about me. Can I tell you something? They don't have a clue. If, they knew, if, if people knew what was in my heart, the sin that I wrestle with, oh my word. They would never ask me to be the first, second, 63rd, or 7,000th Southern Baptist president. But the reality is, God, has, his grace has enabled all sinners to serve Him and to be used by Him, and I'm grateful for His grace. But, but I want to encourage you that, that we have got to we, we want to unify on the things that matter. We don't have to see eye to eye on every secondary, tertiary issue, but we do have to see eye to eye that Jesus called us to reach the nations and to do it loving one another in the process.
0: That is a wonderful word. Dr. Litton, uh, Kristen, and I always end these podcast interviews with guests by asking them, if they would, to edify our listeners with a little word about what the Lord's doing in your life these days. Um, People think of you these days first and foremost as the president of the denomination, but of course you emphasized at some length in chapel this morning the importance of a regular daily walk with the Lord, spending time with Him and so on, whether or not you're the president of a major denomination. So as you've sought to walk with the Lord in recent days, as you listen to His voice and, and dug into Scripture, what kinds of things has He been teaching you that might be edifying for our hearers?
2: That's a great question. I would say simple words, trust me. I'm not talking about trusting me. Trust in the Lord. And there are times I'll be under pressure with a decision or under pressure with, with something, and, and, and I will hear the voice of the Lord simply say, do you trust me? And, and things change. Matter of fact, you may hear news about me today or tomorrow, and, and you may go, Wow, I didn't know that that was going on while we were with him. But the, but the reality is, uh, I'm trusting in the Lord, and I encourage you to trust in the Lord, because uh, he is faithful, and you will never trust him too much. And, and so what he keeps telling me is that his plans are greater than our plans. His ways are higher than our ways. And so that it's our joy and our delight to trust Him. Whatever problem you're facing, trust Him. Trust the Lord. His timing is perfect, His ways are just, and and you can trust in Him. Amen? Amen?
0: Amen. You have been listening to Ed Litton. He is the Senior Pastor of Redemption Church in Mobile, Alabama, and the 63rd President of the Southern Baptist Convention. We are deeply grateful to him for this uh, time that he spent with us today. It's been a wonderful day. Thank you for your chapel message. We'll have to put that on the podcast one of these days too, Kristen. And thank you for this time in the podcast studio. Thank you all for being with us. We love you. We're praying for you. And we say goodbye for now.
1: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast.